0: What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and uh, that's your co-host down there. Oh, I, sh- I should point... Alex always points like he knows where I am on the screen. So somewhere around here is your co-host, Alex. He's <laughs> the one in pink. Um, he's uh, a guy who has been around for like 100 episodes now. So if you don't know who he is, you should probably listen to more of these shows. And then the other guy here, John, and wherever John is, is... uh. If you follow my me on social media, you've probably run into John at some point. We're we're basically besties. He's a partner of mine on several deals. Uh, We live in the same house, and so you probably at some point or another have seen John. We've lived together for a year now. He's actually in like on the other side of this wall recording. So, uh, but he is a VA lender, one of the ones that I recommend to people. He's done some pretty incredible things uh, across the country and with different loans here and there. And so we wanted to do a deep dive on the VA loan. So there's a lot of rumors. Or misconceptions about it, and we can't always cover them all. So I thought it'd be a lot more fun to bring in somebody who closes big loans and multifamily loans in a very expensive, very competitive seller's market, and can give some tidbits for how to make that VA loan more competitive. So that's the premise for this episode. And uh, also, I just needed another guest, and John happens to live here, so I
1: told him. <laughs> <the> show so. I <laughs> was the best option, regardless.
0: That's it. So John, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into real estate and what you've done so far. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. you're cleared to the bar friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1 Oscar Mike. Hey guys, I want to interrupt this episode for just 1 minute to bring you a message from our sponsor for this episode, Rentometer. Now, whether you already have an established rental business or you're analyzing your first deal, knowing the correct rental income is absolutely crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why Our go-to source for rental data is Rentometer. Real estate professionals rely on Rentometer because it's the fastest and easiest way to access quality rental data throughout the US. Now, don't take our word for it. Rentometer provides over 500,000 rent reports every single month and gets rave reviews from its customers. In fact, when I first became a real estate investor, Rentometer saved me $100 a month on my first property, which would pay for the entire Rentometer membership if you paid for the membership right off the bat. They have a free option to give it a trial. I use Rentometer Pro. It's absolutely worth your time. I still use it to verify my rent when I'm analyzing properties and it saved me or rather earned me extra thousands of dollars over the last few years in rental income. And I absolutely recommend that you give it a shot. So go to rentometer.com today to start your free seven-day trial and grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer or click the link down in the show notes and that'll take you right there. Now let's dig into this show.
1: Okay, perfect. So I got into real estate like most other people doing uh, real estate wholesaling. So out of my barracks room uh, in, in the Marine Corps. So did five years in the Marine Corps as a reconnaissance Marine, did the scout sniper thing uh, after my mu slash deployment, had some downtime and uh, a little bit of money that I saved up from not being able to spend any of it. So I invested that into a system where, where, I was learning how to wholesale. So jumped right into that. Um, bought my bought my first property using the VA loan, and started started getting off market properties. Uh, from there, I, I fell into residential mortgage lending. I, I loved working with the numbers and, and connected with a few guys out here. Saw so I'm doing some big things and saw kind of the life of a of a loan originator and and fell in love with it. Uh, being a veteran and, and working with a lot of people that are you know, also veterans and also into real estate investing, I find, found myself diving deep into the intricacies of buying multifamily properties VA and then just wanting to learn every single part of the VA loan so I could actually be useful when, when helping people out instead of just uh, one of those other lenders that we won't name on the podcast in case they ever want to sponsor your show, Dave. <laughs> we know which one it is.
0: <laughs> uh, whether if they wanted to sponsor the show, I would probably tell them that my reputation is more valuable.
1: <laughs>
0: um, yeah. I know who. So, uh, about. Yeah. Yeah. John is one of those guys who ruined the mentorship for everyone else. Cause he came to me and was like, will you be my mentor? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I just can't get rid of the guys. So um, nobody else gets mentorship.
1: Yeah. That's exactly how it was. We were actually, when I, I first, you're my mentor. Yeah,
0: when I first moved here, John, uh, <laughs> John and I met on bigger pockets because he was hosting a pizza and beer real estate meetup. And it was like my first week in town. And then, uh, I don't know. We I don't, I don't actually know what the progression was there. Whenever COVID happened, we found ourselves at the chow hall and the recon gym on work days, and then just got closer friends. And then my wife lived out of state, his moved out of state. And he was like, I need a place to stay for like two weeks. And then I <laughs> A year later, into a he's year. still
1: here. <laughs> so yep. I needed yeah. to get you in shape. That's what it was. That's yeah. That's exactly what it was. So uh, <laughs> have you seen him? You failed. I know. I'm trust me, Alex. I've been working on that for the last 13 months now, and it's it's still like it's. I don't like failure, and I haven't accepted it yet. But as he's on his way out, I'm starting to realize that that's a reality.
0: John will work harder um, on your loan than he does on my workouts. So you're welcome. Let's,
1: let's, <laughs> yeah, I will. let's hope you're
2: better. Let's hope
0: you're better at lending. Tell me
1: about the VA loan. So we'll just start as if, as if no one knows anything about the VA loan don't. have to be a veteran or a surviving spouse. And it's a product. And let's just to say that for, for people that don't know anything about, about lending, the huge perks are you don't have to pay any mortgage insurance on a zero down loan, which is incredible. Uh, any other, any other loan, your monthly payment would be anywhere uh, 50 to could be $800 higher just on mortgage insurance alone, especially in our market. So you can do zero down, no mortgage insurance. Um, there's really, you don't fall under any of the same restrictions as you would with, with FHA as, as much as people kind of, Pick at, oh, that, that you can't buy anything that's, that's, has anything wrong with the property. That's not the case. It's a great loan product that's offered for, for veterans while they're active duty. Um, people that are in the reservist that have been on it, right now are in wartime. So technically, so it's 90 days active duty. They'll start getting their, their benefits and 180 days in, in peacetime. They'll, they'll get those benefits. Surviving spouses and, and you could buy a property zero down so once you've got your closing costs and you can, or you can afford it, All right? And so, obviously,
0: there's a there's there's so many benefits to this, right? So uh, let's talk yeah. briefly through. If you want to give like a three minute overview of like the loan process okay. for me as Nick, the new guy, yeah. applying for a loan, just so people understand that, um, and then kind of timelines to expect based on, uh, yeah, maybe di- direct lender versus broker slash some expectations.
1: Yeah. So I'll just give a, a general time timeline as as an average lender. So obviously the first thing you're going to do, reach out to your lender, you'll, you'll start the application process. Um, be, with it, especially for people that are, that are active duty, they're going to want to see you see an employment history. Your BH is going to, is going to take into account how much you, you can afford um, upload your documentation. You should receive a pre-approval within 24 to 48 hours is a normal turn time to receive a pre-approval. Once you do that, you start shopping for, for properties, you get something under contract and you're looking at anywhere from a three to four week close on average. If you're, if you're going to some without naming any lenders, there are lenders that will quote you 60 days or, or, and I'm going to try to avoid using, using names here, but 60 days for a VA loan. Um, but what I'm getting at, yeah, what I'd like to get at is go ahead.
0: Veterans United, Navy, Federal, U.S.
1: <laughs> big, big box. There land. he goes. Now I'm not, I'm not actually naming the boxers are out of the window. The,
0: the point isn't the name of the institution. The point is like big bank, big corporations where they aren't nearly as streamlined as like specific mortgage companies are generally going to be slower than somebody who only focuses on loans.
1: Right. And the it, it, one of the questions for, for anyone that's shopping for VA loans, one of the questions you can ask your lender is, are you a direct lender or are you a broker? And and some people will say that they're, they're just as quick and some of them can be. Um, some people will tell you that that leaning more towards a direct since everything's in-house and they have all of their systems out, in, that they'll be a little bit quicker. Um, there are people right now closing VA loans, my company included, in 17 days, which is faster than a lot of other lenders are closing conventional loans. So the, if you're hearing that, oh, don't use your VA loan, or you have a real estate agent that's telling you that you shouldn't use your VA loan because it's not going to be competitive, well, I would just ask why. Why is it not competitive? Is it because they they're take longer to close? Is it because you're putting zero down? The seller is getting the same amount of money, regardless of if you put zero down or if you put 20% down. So that shouldn't be the case, unless you know you don't have any money to cover your closing costs, or right now we're seeing a lot of appraisal gap, which is you're paying the difference between the appraised value of the property and, and the purchase price. The purchase price is higher than the appraised value, so you have to cover that. We, we can only lend on the appraised value of the property. And that's the same on any, any, any loan. If you were looking at a conventional, they're going to look a conventional loan FHA, they're going to look at the appraised value. We do not care about the purchase price.
2: So as a seller, uh, you know, flipper, Mm -hmm. I am not that excited about VA loan buyers for that exact reason. Okay. Uh, appraisal gap and they have no cash, right? Maybe they have cash and they don't want to use it. I'm okay with that. Maybe they have cash and they don't want to use it. I'm okay with that. Um, um but also the va uh, loan inspection is i guess maybe not true but stigmatized to be more strict
1: yeah so uh, but to hit on your first point the saying a va buyer doesn't have cash is, is certainly not true i mean they might you might have more veterans that are are active duty maybe like lower ranks that haven't had have enough time to save up cash. Yeah, that's true. But the saying that just because they're a veteran, they don't have cash. I've seen plenty of veterans that have plenty of blame plenty of money. I have a guy that I just got off the phone with today. that has got a hundred thousand dollar appraisal gap coverage. So that could go either way. Inspection. What you what a lot of people think is they're going to go through and they're going to start stomping on the roof and like they, you know, like they would on, on FHA Um, there are a couple of weird things with BA that, that you see called out frequently. One of them is going to be chipped paint on the outside. So yes, that does get called out. I would say half the time if the, if the paint's old, everything else is really just safety. It's health and safety standards that you would see on a conventional loan. You would see on an FHA loan. They're going to be, there's really not a whole lot of, of other ones. There's some weird stuff as far as utilities. Um, what what utilities need to be in there, a stove and everything like that. But most houses, especially you're flipping a house, you're going to have that stuff in there, right? So what else would be a concern that you would have?
2: Well, and to me, let me, well, and the other, let me clear up too. Um, FHA buyers don't excite me either. So it's, of not that the, yeah. it's not that the VA in specific is, it's that um, right now in a competitive market, I want the, I don't care. You you said, well, the seller is going to get the same amount of money. That is correct. And for the listeners, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that John's right. Like whether it's a VA buyer, an FHA buyer, or a cash buyer, if we agree on a selling price, as long as there's no appraisal gap, I'm going to get the same amount of money. I don't care how you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a difference between cash buyers and loan buyers. Conventional and conventional is a little bit, is known to be a little bit more loose. That's not always the case. Um, but it's known to be a little more loose. So for me, cash buyer, conventional FHA, VA, and to your point, and I want to, you know, that might just be stigma. That might not actually Mm -hmm. be a fault of the loan because I understand that, Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm getting the same amount of money. It's that, um, in a competitive market like this, I want to get that thing sold and closed as fast as possible. So, um, Mm. so I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, yeah for wrenches in where I can for no reason.
1: Yeah, no, let's do it. So and that, the thing that really threw a wrench in it is you just said FHA, FHA over VA, um, which is surprising to me because FHA is definitely going to be more strict on the, on the inspections than, than VA is in my opinion. So I, I, that would okay. be surprising. Now, as far as, as far as going conventional versus VA, now let's say, I, and then we'll, we'll use my client today, for example. I have a client who's VA. We're putting in a 17 day close with a $250 a day guaranteed per game that we're going to close on time. And he's got a hundred thousand dollars in appraisal gap. Now you could use that hundred thousand dollars as a down payment. In that case, are you going to let's say you have the same offer conventional. What are you, what are you looking at and what are your concerns with VA?
2: Um, Right now, See, look, when I say VA loan buyers don't have cash, look, I'm at Fort Bragg, right? I'm near all the, I'm near all the VA buyers. So we don't have mm. cash buyers here. We only have VA buyers. So I'm, <laughs> in, I'm yeah, fussy yeah. by theoretics and uh, by hypothetical. I'm not fussy by actual real life. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really care in real life. I'm just saying what I care about is when that thing goes in the market is that I want to go into contract once. Yeah. And then I want to make sure that my appraisal gap is covered. So I know this is a hundred percent anecdotal. I know that, um, like, as you said, there's a bunch of young troops that don't have the capital to do appraisal gaps. There's a bunch of young troops, especially in in military bases who are like, dude, I'm only going to be here five years. I'm not paying you 20 grand over ask or over appraisal. So, and I get that. Right. And I also know that myself, when I bought my first house at 27 and I bought a $65,000 condo, I had $900 in the bank to my name. So for me, if there was yeah. any of the, now I'm not everybody, not by a long shot. Right. And I understand that, but I don't know that as the seller, what I see, if I can see a guy who's has a, if I see a guy who has a conventional loan, you know, 20% down on $150,000 house, that's a good chunk of change. And then they give me an appraisal gap. That's what I'm most concerned about in this market at this moment, that'll change. Mm-hmm. And when the market settles, I don't care. VA buyer, cash buyer, it's not gonna make that much of a difference. But right now, like you said, because that's how we brought it up, it's competitive. Um, yeah, I'll take a VA buyer with a strong closing, uh, mostly appraisal contingency is what I'm looking at more than anything.
1: Right. And, and if let's just say, uh, as a hypothetical, you've got a, a flip that you're listing and you have a conventional with no appraisal gap and you've got a VA with an appraisal gap, proof of funds with it are you going to have any concerns with VA? Say it again. If you have a conventional with no appraisal gap and you have VA, and then you have another offer that's VA and it has appraisal gap coverage, let's say they've got $20,000 of appraisal gap. I mean, at at that point, are you leaning more towards VA? They've got the appraisal gap.
2: Sure. Yeah. Paper to paper. I would take that deal. The only thing I would add is that I'm going to, um, I'm going to sniff the selling broker with my mm-hmm. with my German Shepherd BS detector to ensure that the buyer is a strong buyer that they can make that happen. If 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 they if I believe that they can close, if I believe that the be- the the buyer can can complete the transaction, then that's a better then that's a better deal for me. I will take that deal. Yep. And then also sure. also uh, in another way to make things competitive in this market, and it has nothing to do with a loan, but just in general. Um, in north carolina they're doing non-refundable due diligence money so a way for a buyer to discru- to show the seller that they're a strong closer is to say well i'll give you now it goes towards the close it goes towards the deal so if they're like hey look i've talked to my lender i'm an 800 beacon i have this in the bag no problem i just want to use my va loan they can they can leverage that strength by using give me a nine, give me give me $3000 non-refundable give me $5000 non-refundable due diligence money you'll close the deal and that money will go to you. I don't get it. That would help me close a VA loan or any loan, actually, just to be clear. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Another huge thing. So, so what? And, and for all the VA buyers out there, things that you can do on, on top of that, obviously, the first thing you want to do is get in a good position where you have cash. Cash will always help you in a competitive market. And there's not a lot that can replace that. So when you start calling your lender asking for down payment assistance or, or anything like that, and especially in the market like now, there aren't a lot of markets that I know of that aren't incredibly competitive right now. I think I've heard New York City is and that's it. And maybe that's not even the case anymore. But almost every market and I do loans all over the country, it's extremely competitive. So these things are important. As a buyer, the most important thing I, you can do is start saving your cash, and I would say that's even more important than than getting a high FICO. So, a lot of listing agents or or Alex release. I don't know if you, if you sell your property by yourself or if you if you list with a listing agent, they're going to ask you what's what's your FICO, right? What's your what's your credit score? Little do they know for a VA loan that is. I wouldn't say it's irrelevant if you're, as long as you're over, over a 640, but it, it's not nearly as important as, as the other factors as far as your residual income. So I don't know if this is going into too much detail, but I'm going to explain to you why VA is more important. Well, I think why VA is you have a higher chance of closing and you really just need to know one number than a conventional loan. So conventional loans go off of something called a debt to income ratio and that is The primary factor now, if you anyone can look at this, you don't need to be a lender or a rocket science. You can go to Fannie and Freddie, you can go to the website, and you can look at their guidelines. And then, boom, you know if you if you qualify just by by looking at the math. But you can see if you have over a under a 720 credit score, what your what your debt to income requirement is, and your loan to value requirement is for for that credit score. And then you could go down to 680 and below, and and you can keep going. And you can do that for, for FHA, which has a, a a hard cap with debt to income as well. So with VA, it does not matter what your debt to income ratio is. And I say that, I should say that loosely because there's, I've never seen a scenario where your debt to income was the issue. It always comes down to one thing, which is called residual income. So VA loans and, and when we're, when we're underwriting VA loans, what we're looking at is how much money you're, you're bringing in. And then we look at how much you're paying in, in state tax, federal tax, social security. So how much money essentially you're taking out of pocket. We have a calculation that we use for the size of the house, which is called a maintenance calculation. So we use 14 cents a square foot, and we hit you for that as, a, as, a, as essentially those are gonna be your utilities, or that's gonna be what you're gonna be spending on the house. And then all of your debt. So we look at all of those things, And then based on what part of the country you live in, they have different numbers. And if you're married and how many kids you have. So we look at we look at all of that, but there's, there's a number. So for if you're single and you are on the West coast, you might only need $491 left over after your mortgage payment and all of your bills with that. It doesn't matter if you're, the underwriter comes back and says, Hey, it looks like you've, you've, you thought that you were going to be able to give him two years of bonus. Well, I don't think he's going to get that bonus next year. So we're not going to give that to him, which is something that, you know, essentially that could happen for, for one reason or the other. Underwriter comes back and they don't agree with your income calculation. And then on a, on a conventional loan, your deals just, your, your deal just died. You just went from 49% debt to income to 50. And there's no way around that. It doesn't matter who you beg, who you plead, they're, they're not selling that loan, you're not gonna get that loan and you're, and you're done. So with a VA loan, there's a lot more options. And that, that being the first one, you've, you've got a residual income that, that you can look at. And it's a lot more lenient. So I've, I've closed loans with all the way up to 74% on the debt to income ratio. Which you'll you'll have a hard cap on unconventional, on which is a, oh yeah a, whole, a big monthly payment compared to how much money you're making. Dude, um, you are selling me right now. Ahead. It is working a little bit. Can I, can I just I
0: just want to side two seconds before we continue on because I just wanted to touch on one thing for the uh the appraisal gap just in case there's some listeners who are kind of scared about it or whatever. I just wanted to point out one thing on the math side here when we talk like conventional buyer or a VA buyer, we talk like 20,000, say we'll use a $20,000 appraisal gap. One other big benefit for a VA buyer is if you're buying a half a million dollar house and you want to put a $20,000 appraisal gap on it, right? If you're a conventional buyer and you're putting 20% down, that means you have to have $120,000 sitting in the bank, not including whatever cash reserves is giving you need a hundred thousand for the down payment, 20,000 for appraisal gap, if it ends up being called in and then cash reserves, Right. You're VA loan buyer, and you're buying the same half a million dollar house. You literally need the twenty thousand for an appraisal gap and then reserve. So, so there's just for those listening to this who are getting like scared by the whole appraisal gap or whatever. If you were to do the math on that, that's that's like four percent down in that scenario, which would be the appraisal gap. Now, I'm not ever going to advocate for buying a house over appraised value. I mean, it's going to situation will dictate long term strategy, yada yada. I'm not a fan of the idea of paying over asking price or over appraised value, but trying to compete in a market like this, it is nice to know that you could come in with 20,000 out of pocket plus reserves, vice, 120,000 out of pocket, vice reserves for the same house and probably get in with about the same monthly payment because you're not paying, well, maybe not on a 20% down, but if you were to do like an FHA and run the same numbers, you wouldn't have PMI, MIP, all that other stuff. So I just wanted to throw that out there just to like an appraisal gap isn't the scariest thing in the world if you're not putting money down because it might not be that much money out of pocket
1: one thing you can look at too, depending on... And let's let's pretend that none of us can see the future, even though obviously all of us can and we're, and we're fantastic. But let's say that we're going to look at historical appreciation and you're in a market like San Diego, and you're seeing on average 10% appreciation. Well, if you buy a house and you have $5,000 in appraisal gap, do you really think that you're not going to get that back if you hold it for 10 years? <laughs> And and again, let's pretend that we we don't know that the, the sky is falling or or whatever. The five thousand dollars is, is going to be peanuts if you're if you're planning on a, a long term strategy, especially if you're doing the multifamily or even even twenty thousand dollars in a in a, a high end market like this. Something to take into consideration. But let's go back to the to the perks on on what what does VA loan look like and and, and escrow. Into a conventional. I haven't even touched on what I think is the best part, but we're just going at on on pure we'll what can you qualify for? Let's look at a conventional loan. First of all, on a conventional loan, the borrower is going to qualify for a lot less. So, this PFC going in to, that really likes Alex's flip with the pink door, he's going to qualify for a lot less of a purchase price than if he was VA. VA is going to have a lot more room to go up and give Alex a lot more money for that property because he qualifies for more. So, that would be the first thing. There's, there, there. You're going to qualify for, for for a higher loan amount, VA, just based off the standards alone. You you go over the higher debt to income. The debt to income doesn't matter as much. Um, it's rarely rarely taken into place. Once you've got the residual and, and your credit profile is there, there there are still you know you have a missed a mortgage payment, a twelve a thirty day late mortgage payment in the last twelve months. You're going to have a hard time qualifying. There are still, you know, just like conventional FHA, you still have to meet the financing requirements. So, but if you're comparing them to conventional, I'm, I'm, I'm going all off of comparing, of comparing these loans to FHA and conventional, you have so much more room on a VA loan. Now here's the real, the beautiful thing about VA. And a lot of companies can do this FHA as well is is something called manual underwriting. So let's say that you do have a, a foreclosure on your record and, and you can't get what we call an automated underwriting approval. You'll you'll hear it referred to as a DU approval. And depending on what market you're you're in, some listing agents will require a DU approval just to to even accept an offer, which is completely fine. Let's say that you don't have that. It's a, it, what what that means on a conventional loan is you're not qualified. On a VA loan, you can do something called a manual underwrite. And the in the guidelines are very Vague. If you get anyone can go read them. Again, you don't have to be a mortgage lender or a rocket science. You can go look at the VA guidelines and look at everything and and decide if, if you fit that criteria. And if you're real if you're good enough at putting together a package that makes sense and you've got, let's say you've got some compensating factors, you're married and she's not using any of the income, or there's there's a whole a whole bunch of other compensating factors that you can use that will that will help push that loan through. These are things that you can't do at, on on conventional loans. Where on a VA loan, you can essentially just convince the underwriter that that, that this is a good loan and this will this will, this is a good loan that we, that someone should buy, and and you'll you'll be able to, to. You have just so much more leeway. So it's not a done deal. It, 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 there's a lot of art to VA to VA loans, and I think that that's a huge part of why it's important to to find a good VA lender, whereas. A conventional one. I mean, DU approval. As long as they calculate the income correctly and everything, it's you're you're done. You're in, right?
0: What's up, guys? Hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to stop for just a few seconds to talk once more about Rentometer. And no, they did not sponsor the second ad. This is a mid-roll ad. They sponsored the beginning of the show, but I believe in Rentometer enough that I wanted to just poke my head in here, and reiterate that you guys should give it a shot. It's a seven-day free trial. This will absolutely save you money by helping you get greater rents on a property, or helping you avoid from trying to ask for too much in rent and sitting vacant forever, which can be almost as costly, if not worse. So I absolutely recommend that you go try Rentometer for free at rentometer.com or the link down in the show notes and give them a shot. You absolutely can't lose with a free trial that will literally make you thousands of dollars on your rentals. Now back to the episode. You're selling me a little bit on this. I got a flip that's coming up. I, for sale. I think
2: I think, I think think tomorrow, actually, with a yes, absolutely. And so, um, All right. now I will say this, if I can find a cash buyer, I'm taking them. You can't, like, as you yeah. said, you can't beat cash, but I live next to a military base. It's yeah. not that many cash buyers. Even the houses are cheap, even still at 160 <laughs> grand, 165 grand. There's not that many cash buyers. Now I will say one of my strategies, uh, over the next year, cause I'm looking to buy a new primary residence just to keep competitive, I think I'm going to borrow and pay cash for a house that I want to live in and then refinance it with a VA loan. Once I'm in it, that makes me competitive on the purchase side and allows me to, it costs me a little bit of money to do the refinance, but that's going to, I was going to have to pay for the loan anyways. Um, So for, so for people out there who maybe have access to capital, but don't want to use it, you can do both. You can be competitive with the cash purchase and then
1: refinance into VA. Can you do that? Oddly enough. No. So VA requires you to pay off a of, pay off a lien in order to re, do a cash out refinance. You have to pay off a lien, so you'd have to have some a mortgage on the property or a, a lien okay. on the property that you're. I'll give you're my
2: mom three hundred so. thousand dollars. She'll give me a loan for three hundred thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> it has to be it has to be an, an actual. <laughs> I like where your head's at because I've actually tr- I've, I've uh, trust me I would have done okay, that. So even that still, ninety to- percent
0: down. Yeah, doesn't
2: matter. I'll I'll do. I'll go get a hard money lender. Doesn't matter. I'll go get a hard money lender and pay freaking twelve percent for ninety days.
1: So my my thing would be that you don't have to, and I, I can tell you that I've be, I've beaten cash offers and, and I, I, I have John, multiple. John, you're times, talking so about my dream home.
2: John, you're talking about my dream home. I'm, okay, we, can't be, we okay. can't be going on. John beat a beat a cash buyer once.
1: No. I can't ah. take that. I'm going no, 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 no. This isn't once. This yes. is a this is a normal. So you you can, but here's the thing: you have to you, you'd have to ask your questions. So what what questions would you have as a listing agent, which would have been a great? Are you are you licensed to sell residential? I know. I know David is. Yeah, but I hate you. brokers.
0: D- so idiot. so David, a- Alex, and I are licensed, li- but neither of us has ever sold a house with our license. I'm not licensed. You're not? Okay. No. Alex right. is not licensed. I am. And we still have neither ever sold a house with a license.
1: <laughs> well, some of the... Sorry, okay. For, for people that are, are, are VA buyers and they're thinking, they're, thinking, they're thinking the same thing. David, for the purpose of this, since you are a residential real estate agent, I would like you to ask me some questions and we'll talk about it and we'll see, you know, and these are some of the things that these VA buyers can, can give to their agents as, as tools to to why we should go VA. Can,
0: can we go back to the part where I said I've never used my license to sell a house? Well, you, you know what,
1: David? What, what, what are you getting at? <laughs> there's, a first, there's a first time for everything. I'm, I'm not sure what you're getting at here, so I don't want to... What, what questions would you have as a listing agent? Because I know Alex has already given me some concerns. Yeah, right? I mean, I guess the concern and, would and be, I,
0: Like we've touched on inspection, we've touched on appraisal, we've touched on the rumors that the VA loan takes forever to close and it, it doesn't close and it's not reliable. Um, I think those are the main ones. Is there something we're missing? Well, wait, since if we're looking for controversial things to talk
2: about, in 2018, yeah. I wrote an article for Bigger Pockets with the title, the big reason that the VA loan program is a trap for
1: new rental investors, <laughs> oh, because it's, it's an owner-occupied loan. But okay, let's uh, let's let's reference let's reference that then, and let's hear some of your points because yeah, maybe we, we'll we've cite got to...
0: this super official scholarly article that we got going on this over is, here. Yeah, mm. yeah, this yeah. is an this official is resource. Cited.
2: This is not a this is <clears> not a cited. <laughs> It's not a cited source. This is just me <laughs> ranting on the internet. Um, <laughs> the idiots he at Bigger Muggets publish what I say. And now we're all going to have to listen to it. Um, you do not have to
1: pay the word PMI. Suffer.
2: Let's be clear here. You do not have to pay PMI for a VA loan, but you do have to pay a funding
1: fee. Is that correct? As long as you have... If you have any VA disability at all, you do not. Or if you're in the middle of a claim, you'll get that reimbursed. But if you, do, if you don't have any VA disability, you do have to pay a funding fee. It's 2.3% for first time use and then 3.6% for subsequent use, half of a percent for any anytime you do an, an interest reduction line or, or refinance. So wanted to give that quick spiel and that's as of five twelve twenty twenty one. In case it changes tomorrow on I me. Mean.
2: Okay. Here's the, here's the only downside for investors. If you're a retail buyer, is that what you, most of you deal with, was with retail buyers? Yes. Okay, so for my people here who are um, investors, um, back in 2017 and 18, before real estate became bananas where it is now, where people are grossly optimistic, and on, on, especially on military basis, there's this idea that a soldier will buy a house in Fayetteville with a VA loan and live in it for a year or two, and then he'll PCS, and then he'll rent it out, and then he'll go to the next place and they'll PCS. Uh, And he'll rent it and he'll buy a place with a VA loan. And then he'll live there for two or three years A PCS. And he'll do this across the country. And there's a myriad of reasons why this is a kind of a lousy idea. Um, But the thing that I wanted to explain to investors, not to retail buyers, is in real estate, the first rule of real estate that people forget, especially when buying houses out of state, is um, location, location, location. People forget that. That's okay. The second rule of real estate, in my estimation, is you make money when you buy. With the VA loan, you got to pay cash. Uh, you got to pay retail. You can't buy a property that needs rehab. Is that correct?
1: There, if you had the VA, you have there is a VA, VA renovation loan that David and I will yep. be taking over, and it's now offered. But if it needs, a, if it, it, it depends. I've, I've definitely, I've definitely financed a few properties that needed rehab. I mean, they're older and they have a lot of potential for flips. But you're talking, if you're talking full gut you're like probably what you're doing for your, for your flips where there's no floor, like no flooring is an automatic no-go for, for VA. Um, Right. No AC and stuff like that. Like that could be, yeah.
2: So I want to express just to my, to our investor listeners that the VA loan is a great way to get into a property, but you're buying that thing retail. So you're buying that with no, especially if you're doing zero down, you're buying that. Say you get the property. We're talking about the efficacy of the closing the loan. Fine. Let's say, let's say I, I agree with you with everything you said. So, um, but I want to make sure that I talk to our investors and say, look, this is a good way to get started. If you have low money, it's a good way to get into home homeownership. It's a good way to um, to understand the responsibility and feel the responsibility of owning your house. Maybe you can rent out a piece of it to uh, Airbnb and make a little bit of money. Maybe it'll be a good rental later, but you are buying it retail. There is no way to buy at a, especially in this market, at a discount. I wouldn't say there is no way, but... Um, my gripe with the VA loan was not the loan itself. It's that the propensity to encourage people who want to be investors to buy something because they have no capital or very little capital. And this gets them in rather than taking the long road and, being, and saying, I'm going to wait and have cash or, and, or, or buy something um, at a discount and improve it, buy something distressed and improve it. Um, this encourages or entices people to go and buy something because they can, but buying a retail home, in my opinion, is contradictory to savvy investing. Do you agree with that?
1: The first thing is if you buy a house, are you saying that you can buy a house conventional or FHA? Are you saying what you, are you comparing this to other two of the other loan products? Are you comparing this to buying a house? hard money or something like that, you know, hard money with your own and like flipping it.
2: I'm saying that the VA loan, because they advertise 0% down, it disproportionately Mm -hmm. entices people with, with not much capital to buy assets that are not wholesale, they're not discounted. They are encouraged to pay retail for a home Um, that they may not otherwise. Now the FHA does something very similar with three and a half percent. So I'm not just saying that it's a VA loan specific Mm -hmm. thing, but zero percent down is a, for somebody who's just getting into real estate or just learning about investing, that is a, they're like, I have no money. That can be an enticement that can disproportionately encourage them to make a purchase that is not necessarily yeah, uh, um, a savvy investment.
1: So, and here's here's why I would disagree with that because I've see, I've seen it a lot, and and what I see is is, is people that are in, in the in the Marine Corps uh, active duty because I think what we're where we're targeting right now is specifically active duty people that that. They didn't, get, they didn't get out and now have, have the money for, for 15% or, or just stayed, you know, not making any money. This is, we're talking, to looking at the, the younger audience, right? And what I've seen is people that buy at their first duty station, let's say that their first duty station, and I'm, I'll, I'll use an, an exact example. Um, a client of mine bought a property in North Carolina, first, first duty station, and bought it in Jacksonville. And then with the remaining of his entitlement, he bought a property in Oceanside when he got stationed at Pendleton. I don't know how much money he had at the time he bought in Jacksonville, but he was young. So probably not a lot, right? He rented it out. Maybe it broke even for him. But by the time he bought his second property, he had some equity in it. Now he bought his property in Oceanside. He lived in it and you know, with, with appreciation and then with principal pay down he built up to where he's at, you know, 80% loan to value. So now he can refinance into a conventional loan. So now he has one and two two cash flowing properties, one in North Carolina, one, one in Oceanside, and he's buying his third property in Washington, DC. Now he did all of this with zero down with the money that he could have been spending on a down payment for his primary residence you can go invest that money in another market. You can do your out-of-state or he could have gone and bought another property in Jacksonville instead of putting it towards his down payment for his, for his primary residence. So I've seen that. And that's just one example. But I've seen that over and over where I, where I see people six, six to eight years in the military and they own two two properties with $400,000, $500,000 in equity in these two properties. And they have zero savings which you would say that's sad. They don't have any savings, right? They, they need to be watching the Military Millionaire podcast more and, and read David's book. But what they do have is they have a net worth of four or $500,000 and the only thing they did was buy a house zero down. So if I compare it to yeah. that, I'm...
2: Yeah, but th- that implies that real estate only goes up. What about the buyer, right? You're talking about how long you've been in the real estate business? Mm-hmm. Three
1: Three years or so.
2: Right. You know, real estate goes down, right? In, in, in my <laughs> lifetime, it went down It went down 50% in two months. Right. Um, We're talking about lifetime, it. We're probably talking done
0: about that three or four times, right? A couple of different. So, but hang
2: on, but hang on. My point is, my
0: point yeah. is, yeah. right. <laughs> um,
2: you can say, you can point to a person and say, well, this person with no savings bought these homes and then it went up 50% in value. Now they have all this equity. And so it works. And I'm like, well, but it discounts all the people that bought houses with no equity and no cash and it didn't work because there's a cemetery full of people who did the exact same behavior and lost because of the luck of the market yeah
0: survivorship bias
1: yeah Survivor and let's bias. be clear i'm not and i'm, I'm not saying that you need and i'm saying you still need to run your numbers the property still needs to make sense as a rental where what i would never bank on is you're not buying these properties, saying, "Yeah, look at how much appreciation they're going to make." Your goal is it's it's a stepping stone. You get your foot in the door. You learn the terminology. You you. And it's not going to it's not going to make you rich, but as long as the numbers work, you are, when you can rent it out and you can hold on to it, you've got your reserves. You you've done everything that, the, that they they teach you about to do your, your solid real estate investment principles. But just have your reserves you know, have your rainy day fund in case something goes wrong and, and hold on to it. But through of that, there, there are plenty of people that held properties through, through 2008. And I, and I think w- whether it's zero down or, or 25% down, if you foreclose on it, you just gave the bank more money. It's not like you're keeping any more money.
2: So, well, so actually, so, okay. Great point. Great point. Right. Actually last one, David, and then I'll let you talk.
1: I see where you're going with this.
2: More so than equity, right? More so than equity is cash on hand. Because one, let me tell you something. Houses have, they require costs. And so maybe nine out of 10 buyers, I don't know the real, I don't know the number. Maybe nine out of 10 buyers buy a home. They like it. It's a VA retail home. And in five years, they don't have to put any money into it. And then how many buyers find out soon after purchase, they have to sink some money into it. You have to have cash on hand. If the market tanks 50% and you hold on to it, who cares if the market tanks 50% and then you have a repair and you can't afford it and you have no equity, you're going to the, you're getting gravestone. You're financially going to, you're going to have a sad day. So, so, and I worry, and I don't know this, I'm just speculating, Mm -hmm. um, for the sake of argument, actually, um, I worry that VA loans that advertise 0% down encourage people with low capital to make big purchases that it works out, no problem, until it doesn't. And then it's like, how could this possibly happen? And it happens every 10 years-ish.
0: So I think, so I think there's obviously, there's the inherent risk when you go 100% loan to value on something and you don't have any cash, right? The market turns down, that's a really bad spot to be in. So I agree with where you're coming from, Alex. I think if we were to go apples to apples, all things being equal, though, if I had to buy, if I was buying a hundred thousand dollar house and I had twenty thousand dollars, I get asked this a lot. For some reason, people think that putting a down payment on a VA loan anyway is like the greatest idea any ever. Like it's like this, like, oh, I'll have 20% equity. Um, but so I just want to say this for the recording: if you had twenty thousand dollars. And you could put it down on a $100,000 house and you can use the VA loan. Don't because you're an idiot. You can't tap that. You won't. No, I don't. You know what? No, I'm not even going to preface that. Yeah, you're an idiot. Um, and here's why because you won't be able to pull it via a refinance. I like it. Like that you won't be able to get it out via refinance. You would have to sell, which means that you instantly lose 6% via commission, maybe 4% on, on the good end, right? But if you have $20,000 down, and you use the VA loan, you go zero down, and you keep the twenty thousand dollars in reserves. You are now very well situated to mitigate the risk of a downturn and not having equity because you've got twenty thousand dollars to do a roof, you know, uh, refrigerator, air conditioner, or whatever. Like you can buffer a lot of those issues that we're talking about. So, you know, that's one thing I really like about it. I think mean, I think the argument that we're making here is that you know, 0% down with no cash is very risky. And that's absolutely true. There, there is inherent risk with that when compared to having cash in reserve or having the ability to make the down payment and having equity, right? That's just inherent. So make sure you know what you're doing.
1: Yep. but we, we'll, all, bro, we'll all agree bro, there. Alex go bro, on.
2: yeah. If I had a $100,000 house and $100,000 in cash, I would get a zero down VA loan all day, all day long, for yeah. sure. I love the debt. As long as the house kind of ish makes money or breaks even, you know, whatever the situation is, I'm going to live in it. But yes, I'm more worried about cash on hand. And again, to reiterate, I worry that people get incented to get into something, they pay retail, and then they don't have the capital in case something goes wrong. And they're incented because of the 0% down. And so let me ask you this, what are the VA loan reserve requirements um,
1: for a loan? Okay. Yeah. So, and 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 with a normal VA loan, that you which is a risk. You don't need you don't need just for a single family property, um, or if you're if you've, or you're you even buying a multifamily property, been qualifying off the rental income, and, and you don't own any other property, then you don't you don't there aren't any reserve requirements. So, you're right, and and for for the entire audience, know what you're doing, which is why I prefer this in the first place. Saving cash is important. And 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 Alex is right. Market market will not appreciate forever. It's, eventually, prices are going to get go down. You want to make sure that you'll either be able to rent it out, and whether you know the market turns, and then you need to replace a roof, and that's ten thousand dollars. Those are just smart principles, smart investing principles that you that you need to have cash. So that being said, if we're if we're talking about just reserve requirements for everyone looking to buy multifamily property, and that, I yeah, and then there'll be this guide to military life. You can learn more. <laughs> if we are looking at buying a property where you're, where you pants. need the rental income, I like it. I like, them. I like it almost as like much as I pants. like those pants. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> the pants, the, we both had to say the pants at the same time. So, and well, for anyone the listening on, the on audio. Yeah. For anyone listening on audio, you need to go watch this just for Alex's pants. <laughs> so, my camo
2: reserve my camo, requirements uh yeah. my camo joggers and my pink t-shirt are they're working for you john
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's it's, it's 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 selling me just as much as i'm selling this va loan right now so reserve requirements if you're buying a multifamily property and you're using the rental income to qualify which is another great thing about va and alex is going to hate this because alex is an underwriter as i'm starting to learn and he's looking at all the different risk tolerances that uh, in case the market turns and everything like this. But with VA, let's say that you don't qualify for the property on your own. And this is what what I would consider a beautiful part of of VA is is you can buy a multifamily property as long as it's zoned multifamily and you can use 75% of the rental income that the property produces to offset your your debt. It's, It's qualifying income for you. That's income that you receive. If you decide to do that, or if you need to do that, you do need to have six months reserves after your closing cost. So there are, there is a reserve requirement in case all of your tenants stop paying rent. You'll be able to cover the Why do you think I hate that?
2: Months. Why would you think I hate that? I, th- I like that much better, right? You now you like have a that, property that has okay. income. You have, you have a three unit tenant diversification and they have a cash reserve requirement. I think that's way better.
1: How do you feel about someone covering the, where their mortgage payment is more than their income? I think that is a matter of
2: experience and reliability of the asset in the market that it's in. Right? I just bought a loan. I just bought a property. I just bought a $3.2 million property. Right? I don't have a job. My income does not (laughs) Shut up, David. She's making fun of me. My income does not She's cover the, the, the whatever it is, $15,000 mortgage, whatever it is, right? Or $7,000 interest only for two years. What's up? Uh, but still, I don't have a job. So I don't have that on DTI. And yet they gave me the loan. Why? Because it makes money. Because I'm a reliable operator. I have a track record. They know the asset. We've done extensive due diligence, right? That bad boy makes money. So if you go buy a four unit, right? And say you buy it at a reasonable price, you don't pay $60,000 over ask on a $300,000 property or something like this. And you're going to, and you're going to get reliable rents and there's a reliable rent roll and the, you know, it's your first property, but let's just pretend that you're the most well-established first time home buyer of all time, right? you got a great beacon. you got a long track record. You're a, you're a, a mature individual, um, and the mortgage, the, the, the mortgage is more than your income. Well, what is the income of the property? That's, that's, I don't care that the person can cover it. I care that the asset can cover it um, with a healthy DSCR. Yes, I was in underwriting for a long time. Yes. So, and my job is never to yeah. look at everybody's, everybody's plan works on paper. Okay. Everybody's yeah. got a great plan. They're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Let me tell you all the reasons why it's not going to work out. Right. That's my job. <laughs> so I, I prefer this. And in fact, um, I think going off and using a VA loan to buy a fourplex is not a bad idea. I think it's harder now because they've been scooped up due to mania. Uh, everybody's market is different. Here in my market, people come in and they're like, I want to buy a two, three or fourplex. And I'm like, they don't exist because they never built them here. So there's probably, there's probably, there's some, they're around, but they, they made them for a short bit. There's not that many, but in some markets, there's plenty. In some markets, they still build them. I don't think that many but I like that idea a lot better.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then go ahead, David. I know you want to talk.
0: No, I mean, finish your point. And then I, I was trying to, this is kind of where I was trying to take the conversation anyway, so.
1: To, to the multifamily, right? Because that's that, that's a huge part of of, of what we're doing. Um, so we've covered, and, and just to kind of recap on everything that we've talked about on, on the single family. Yes. Like Alex said, buying a property, Sixty thousand dollars above ask on a three hundred thousand dollar property, and then using you know all of your capital to do that, and then ha- having any money, you're really putting yourself in a bad situation in case the market turns, and then you need to sell. Or let's say it just doesn't, it stays flat, it doesn't appreciate. You need to sell, but you, you're putting yourself in a in a bad position. Uh, you're you're in your underwater. Um, so we're all clear that single family property. We, you want to you want to say you want to have reserves. You don't want to spend every last dollar. On your closing cost, and then when your first mortgage comes up, that you're never going to save any money. So we're all clear that that, that that's the case. Uh, and then we've, and we've we've kind of covered everything on on that verse a on a conventional. On the same principles would apply on on any type of financing, or if you're just starting out in real estate investing, you know, having cash and resources is important. So now moving into the the multifamily, that's a lot of of. What we do, if if you can do it in your market, it's fantastic. So, going into specifically what what you're looking for there, and and what's realistic and what's not. So, a lot of people say, "Oh, I want to." Yeah, go ahead.
0: Can I just segment this real quick so that it's in the in the reason we're going into multifamily? So, we talked, we poked holes on the VA loan. We talked about risks associated with the VA loan. We talked about why some sellers don't like it but this is getting into like some of the benefits for why the VA loan is not necessarily not for investing but some ways that you can use it that are very beneficial that are kind of unique to the VA loan and this is one of the reasons that I love it right like there are definitely risks inherent with some of it but this is the last 10 15 minutes of this is going to be like this is the the big benefits in my opinion for this so that's why we're talking multifamily let's
1: do it so first thing first thing we're going to look at is is and and, and we didn't we didn't cover I, and I think I I kind of skimmed, did a brief intro on, on on the VA loan, but obviously you have to live, you have to live in the property. So a lot of people have reached out and and asked me that they told me they want to buy an investment property. In VA. you have to live in one of the units. So the only way you're buying investment property has to be the multifamily, has to be the multifamily route. So if you have six months reserves, you can use the rental income as we discussed earlier. And you can use that to qualify. So somebody that, like for example, a, a sergeant that makes six thousand dollars a month in, in San Diego can qualify for a, a $1.2, $1.3 three million dollar property as long as the rental, the rental income makes sense. So you know, it 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 offsets to where your residual income works. So you can do that, and if you've had the six month reserves, what you're doing then is you're lowering your living expense, which is the biggest thing that we're going to focus on. So if, I don't know if any of you guys have read Set for Life, but I know by, by Scott Trench, that's a great one. If you're just looking on a uh, on a path, to, and one of the big things he talks about is if you can lower your, your living expense, the amount of money you can save drastically increases. If you can, you know, comparing it to cutting out your Starbucks coffee, or if we're talking about, you know, Marines tattoos and, and dip. So you can keep doing that. You can keep dipping your can a day and you can keep getting your moto tattoos across your back. That's completely fine as long as you are cutting your living expense. So especially out here, you've got people that are living out in town and if you're renting, you're probably looking at $2,200, 2400 a month uh, for an apartment. If you're looking at a, at a house now, you're probably looking closer to $3,000. You can buy a multifamily and you can lower that to 2000 I've seen zero and I've seen people make a little bit of money. The biggest thing is you you just want to run your numbers because when you leave that property which you will eventually if you're in the military or you station somewhere else, um, you you want to make sure that that is going to be a a, ca- a cash flowing asset for you and you you're, you can't bank on bank on the appreciation. So that being said it's a, it's a great product for people that are that are that want to get get in the door you you want to learn, get your your systems in place for your tenants. Get your however they're going to pay you, uh, your follow up for following up if they if they're paying rent late. All of these things you'll learn. All of the things about being a landlord you'll learn by buying a multifamily property. And then when you do move out of it and move on to your next one, now if you're if one of the units goes vacant, you're not you're not in a no shit situation as if you were you just bought a single family that. In, in San Diego or your mortgage payments 3000 dollars a month. You make five thousand dollars a month and as a as a sergeant or six thousand dollars a month, and then you move somewhere else, that that property goes vacant. You spent all your cash reserves on your dip in tattoos and now you're in a bad situation. So those are the that's a huge benefit of the multifamily.
0: So just to give a quick breakdown on this, because it is scarier to do this in like 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 my first duplex was like eighty one thousand dollars. I was out of pocket like a hundred bucks a month. To own it. And then when I moved out, I made like 300 bucks, right? Not scary. <clears throat> but if you're talking about someone like a sergeant buying a $1.2 million fourplex, like that's that's scary, especially when you look at like a $6,000 a month mortgage and you can see the inherent risk there. So, and then your, your people look at it and they're like, well, I'm not going to cash flow on that. So I just want to break this down real quick, right? Like let's say $1.2, say your mortgage is around 66500 a month, something like that. So you're looking at, Somebody, Then you rent the other three units, we'll say in San Diego, like 2,000, right? So you're going to be like break even, maybe. You're probably still out of pocket like 1,000, 1,500 a month. Even if you have roommates, you might break even. You're probably not breaking even. You are, however, saving your entire housing allowance or, or at least more of it than you would have been to live in an apartment anyway. So your overall living expenses are probably still lower and you're probably paying down 2,000 to 2,500 a month in principal pay down. So even if the market goes down, that's $24,000 a year. If you're there for three years, that's $60,000 in equity that you're building through what you would have been paying to rent as a landlord. Plus you might be saving 500 to 1,000 a month on your overall expenses. And then when you rent that unit out, it's not going to cash flow like a king, but it should cover all your expenses and then a little bit. And so... The, the the mentality for like the big scary markets for house hacking isn't like how much is this going to pay me to live in it it's how much am i going to save every month how much principal am i paying down and like it's got to be a long term play this can't be like a 2 year like i hope the market goes up it's got to be like do i want to own more properties here do i want to own uh, this for you know the next 20 30 years um, but there is some some definite advantage to that especially when you factor in and i'll let john an- <clears throat> touch on this more so but if you were to compete, like let's say you were a normal investor buying a fourplex here in San Diego, you buy a say a million dollar house, you put 25, you have to put 250000 dollars down, and you're locking in a four and a half, five percent interest rate. You're honestly not going to be saving that much month over month on your mortgage. You're as the VA buyer paying zero down and moving into this house with a 2.75 and I would have to do the math on this, but your monthly payment is probably not much more, if if not lower than someone who put 25% down, but is paying four and a half, five, five and a quarter percent interest on the property. So there's a big advantage there for getting your foot in the door if you do it right, where you're able to buy some of these properties that like sophisticated investors are snatching up. But you're, you, this, this is where like, not saying this is for everyone, but if you have a little bit of, if you're young and you can afford a little bit of risk and you do your numbers, like you can definitely win here in a pretty cool way. There's some pretty cool opportunities there for this.
1: Yeah. And the scenario you just said, so I I'm, I don't know the exact numbers a- anymore, but I, I ran this scenario with uh, another LO in my office, just bought a $2 million fourplex in LA. And he, uh, you know, use you, you some of his he bought down the points. He got down to a 2.25 interest rate. Rates have gone up a little bit since then, but we were just comparing 2.25 with zero down, and we looked at someone putting 25 percent down and the rate that they would have on them. Because one, on conventional loans, you're going to have a higher rate just for it being a multifamily property. On VA, those rate adjustments don't exist, With conventional loans, you have rate adjustments.
0: I just did it. So a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars loan at four point five percent is thirty eight hundred a month. A million dollar loan should be zero down at two point seven five is four thousand eighty two. So two hundred eighty two dollars a month more, and you saved a quarter million dollars down.
1: Yeah, or you could yeah, you could do that same thing. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Do the same thing at two million dollars with the two point two five or the or the yeah, four the, point the five. The more expensive 4. that 6, property 5, is, yeah. the more that spreads out. That no, yeah. <laughs> So, so that's a huge benefit. I mean, you're you're gonna have a monthly payment at the same or or even close to maybe even lower than than an investor buying this property with, with 20 to 25% down. So huge benefit that you can only get that you can only get with, with a VA loan. Um and and something that I think that people should be taking advantage of for sure.
0: So I think we've covered most of what we can VA loan. So I don't know if we, I mean, I'm not saying that there's a not more we can cover. We can always do a part two. Oh, he's putting the finger up. All right. I'm not trying to wrap yet. I was going to ask you some questions, but what do you got?
1: Before we wrap up, I want to just make one thing clear because this is the most commonly asked question is how many times can I use it? And what is a what the hell is a one-time restoration? And the sad thing is I really hope that every single one of your, your, fans, here's this. I'll call them your fans. Oh,
0: nice.
1: <laughs> your fanboys, here's this. So nice. uh, because the lenders aren't aren't teaching about it at all. It's the one-time restoration. So let's say you do like what I was talking about earlier, you buy a property and you want to go buy your second property VA and you've already used all your entitlement. If you refinance into a conventional loan to recoup your VA eligibility, to go buy another property using a VA loan, you use something called a one-time restoration. And it is what it sounds like, you can only use it one time. If you wanna go buy a third property, VA, you have to sell the other two properties that were financed VA. You can't just continue to buy properties using using your VA loan, as much as some people think that you can because there's no cap. The cap is just, if you have full entitlement, there's, you're not restricted to the county conforming loan limits. That's the only thing. If you if you have used some of your entitlement, your the remaining entitlement goes off of the conforming loan limits, but you can look up FH F H F A conforming loan limits for twenty twenty one in your county and you can find out what those are. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think that's something that's not talked about enough, is you know, a lot of people are saying you just build a portfolio and and buy a million properties VA and just have thirty five VA loans out at the same time. It's not true
0: valid and as far as buying a second home i wrote an article on this but the answer for 99.99% of you is it depends on your specific situation there's no like okay. oh yeah it's this easy this is the answer it's it's always dependent on where you bought how much you bought blah 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 so uh, rather than just blankly asking that as a blanket question reach out to a lender and speak to them about your specific situation because that will dictate whether or not you can buy another property depending on a million different if this, then that scenarios. Um, all right. So real quick, John, you've probably never listened to the show before because you live with me. So you probably like, yeah, I just hear it all through the walls um, and I don't blame you. So this might be a total shocker question that I ask every guest. Um, but if an E1, E2 walked up to you asking you for uh, advice, life, business, real estate, whatever, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you joined the military? It's mm, a good one. So he doesn't listen to the show. He's just like you. See, I told yeah. you, Alex. You guys would get along great. You don't listen to anything you've recorded. I you don't listen to anything I've recorded.
1: I haven't, John doesn't, I haven't, John doesn't even know
0: what. The, he didn't even know I had a podcast, and he's lived with me for a year.
1: I haven't finished reading your book either. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest, but I'm it's on my to do list for next year. So <laughs> when I retire, um, I think I think the biggest thing for me when I when I joined the military is, is I did about two or three years of the, of two years really of the Lance corporal. Um, Oh shit. I have, I made how much this month? $1,500. I'm I'm rich compared to all my friends. So I can buy $1,500 worth of guns this month. And I would look at money as it was coming in every single month as this just came in, what am I going to spend it all on? Like, this is like, this is fantastic. And it's going to come in next month guaranteed so you bet your ass I'm already planning on what I'm what I'm gonna be buying buying the next month so it was like boot camp come back fifteen hundred dollars in a bank account I went and bought uh, eOtech and and ammo and then obviously it took all it took girls out for drinks and you did the whole the whole thing I'm, I'm a marine and and just thought I was the best thing ever so uh I would I, I, th- I think the biggest thing would be really knowing the importance of saving and and then getting my tsp set up while I was in and boot camp because they don't always do that for you as much they'll say that they're doing it for you but you would want to check that right out just don't get put as much money in your tsp as possible uh, when you're when you're early on and then just forget about it all right resource you recommend lending real estate investing or or what <laughs>
0: going have to bring that book closer if you're where a hole in your floor running back and forth
1: <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna recommend yeah the military to millionaire podcast would be my first resource and then the military to millionaire facebook group after that i would go to the military to millionaire website and then i would read the no bs guide to military life by david peray so, no not hey, pressured at all to- no solicitations on this show okay <laughs> i don't want to hear that <laughs> uh I think I think for me the the biggest resource and and you can find this everywhere is anything you want to do you'll find somebody that you'll find someone that knows someone that's doing it and just take just take them out just meet up with them or or if it, you know I'm not one of those people that, that that thinks that you can just ask somebody that's anyone that's doing anything with their life. They're usually not the people that will just say, yes, I'll go out to coffee every single time with every single person that asks me, but provide some value. And I think people are the best resource, resources, really, as people that are doing whatever you want to do. But provide value is the biggest key. Don't ask them out for coffee. Say, hey, this is what I can do. And this is what I'm willing to do for you.
0: And last but not least, where can people get a hold of you?
1: My cell phone in uh, my email that would be those those two those two are the best I'm, I'm uh, not great on Facebook yeah
0: I'm gonna mute you before you do what I think you're about to do and give you the whole world your cell phone while I have to listen to every day like oh my god you see how many text messages <laughs> I got today from people I haven't had a chance to respond
1: I, yeah so before I bury myself yeah no I'm not gonna give up my cell phone number but um, honestly the best the best way to reach me uh, I'm not, I'm Facebook messenger is definitely not. Um, and then any, anywhere on social media is, is not the best way to reach me. If you, if you want, can you just put it in like the show notes of the okay. show, my, my john.laland at my, my ccmortgage.com. Hopefully I can, I can say that. That'd be the best way to reach me. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions for anybody, uh, VA financing, any type of financing or, or any other questions that people have.
0: Absolutely. It'll be in the show notes. And as a super shameless plug, uh, if you go on the website, we've got a link where you can fill out a little form for like recommended agents and lenders. And depending on where you're buying, John's one of two or three people that I recommend uh, as VA lenders. So you know, happy to make that introduction for you guys if you reach out as well. Um, but all of John's contact info will be in the show notes next to uh, his smiling face on some social media art. So thanks for joining us, brother. Great to meet you, John. Yeah, Thank thanks you for so much.
1: Having... This was very yeah. informative and um, fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.